While we may not agree, I, I hope you believe me when I tell you that I made this decision out of principle and out of a duty to protect and defend the Constitution. I feel that in my bones, and I will stick to that regardless of what it does to me politically, because this is bigger than politics. This is episode 17 of How We Win. All over the country, ordinary people are doing extraordinary things. We're giving you the tools that you need to jump in and make a difference right now. The best antidote to anxiety is action. The clock is ticking, and we want you to get 2020 ready. All right. Today, we're going to go inside the Democratic National Committee with DNC co-chair and assembly member from the Bronx, Michael Blake. We talk about the DNC strategy to win in 2020, where and who we need to engage with. And we'll hear about the viral moment when Michael Blake asked the question we all really want to know the answer Mm -hmm. to, why the hell does Tucker Carlson still have a job at Fox? Mm, Love the question. Then we're going to hear from a group of re-sisters in Connecticut who are making a big difference in Pennsylvania and around the country. I'm Steve Pearson. And I'm Mariah Craven. And and this this is How How We We Win. Alyssa Slotkin speaking truth to her constituents in Michigan. She is representing these freshman Congress people who we elected in purple districts mm-hmm. who are standing by their principles, doing what we elected them to do, regardless of any, I want to even say perceived political fallout. Mm-hmm. Everybody, this is why we flipped the House in 2018 for this moment right here. The moment is here, and it's a solemn moment. I'll be honest with you, I've been kind of down this last week. Oh, no. Yeah, well— This is very interesting. I bet a lot of people are feeling this way. Talk about talk about why you're down. I think so. It, you know, first of all, there's been so much lead-up to impeachment, impeachment, impeachment. I mean, I've got a sticker on my laptop that says impeach. I think that's what it says. Impe- impeach Trump. It says impeach Trump. It's a yes. move-on sticker. Yeah. And uh, I have been supporting impeachment for a long time, Mm -hmm. but uh, human nature dictates that we strive for hope in some way. Mm -hmm. And even if our minds know that the chances are none of these Republicans are going to stand up and be actual patriots and be human beings and and ethical – there's still part of me that wanted to see that happen, that was hoping that that would happen. And when I see them in such lockstep, it's been disheartening. It has been. Um, but, uh, you know, at the top of the, the episode, we heard from Alyssa Slotkin, who is in a moderate district in Michigan, so uh, pur- yeah. Purple District. And a lot of her constituents, as, as people heard, were angry and She represents what a lot of the Democrats in the House who have helped move the impeachment inquiry forward is that this is not about partisan politics. This is not about Donald Trump himself. This is about violating the Constitution and uh, protecting the presidency moving forward and setting a standard. Even if he's not removed from office, we've put our foot down and said, that's right. Hey, y'all, you can't just go to foreign powers and get them to interfere in our elections. We need to show up for her again in 2020. 
definitely show up for her. And then also, you know, this is one of our action items on our to-do list for the week is call members of Congress and talk to them about impeachment. Right now, polling shows that um, 49% of the country is in favor of impeachment. 46% are not. People need to hear from us. The legislators need to hear from us. So whether or not you, they're they're voting for impeachment, it helps to reinforce the idea that there is a significant chunk of the public that is in favor of impeachment and supporting those members of Congress who are going to vote for impeachment. That's absolutely right. And Trump and the Republicans right now are investing a lot of money in robocalls mm. to Republican supporters. So we have to counter that. And it's going to be difficult because they're spending a lot of money doing it. So we've got to we've got to flood these offices with calls of support for impeachment. Mm-hmm. We've got to call these vulnerable uh, Republican senators who are up for reelection on November 3rd, 2020, mm-hmm. and let them know that their votes now will have consequences on November 3rd. All right. So add it to the to-do list for the week. And of course, there's going to be math, like as it's Tuesday as we record this, and I can't wait to see all the footage from the uh, impeach rallies all over the country. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go out on a limb and say they're going to be huge. I know people are going to show up in a big way. That's going to be a big moment. And again, it adds to that public perception that, yes, we are going to hold people accountable for their actions in office. <laughs> It's really, really important. I mean, it's not the only thing. We have to show up. We have to make our voices heard. And then we've got to follow that up with volunteering, Mm -hmm. with sustained action, getting involved, as we talked about, and we're going to keep talking about in these Senate races. Right. But this is the first step is is making our voices heard and letting these Republicans know that we are out in force, that America supports this fascist president being removed from office. All right. Well, I can't wait to hear what you have to say at tonight's impeachment rally in Los Angeles. <laughs> it's going to be as inspiring as what I just said. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, also um, coming up this week uh, that we're looking forward to is the last Democratic presidential debate of the year. It's happening. It's happening. Almost didn't happen. I know we came close. I, why I, didn't why didn't it happen? Tell the people why we almost didn't have a debate. Well, we've had some uh, organizing going on by the unions here in Los Angeles, which is where this last debate will be held. So it was it was moved from one location because um, of a strike there, and mm-hmm. it was moved to Loyola Marymount University, where there was another strike happening and. To their credit, these candidates for president said, hey, we're not going to cross a picket line That's right. to debate each other. So These presidential candidates are already doing more for workers and workers' rights than the current occupant of the White House. Uh, yeah, this is so important. So uh, Unite here negotiated with Sodexo, and now these uh, food service workers on campus will earn more money and have more job security. And I think... You know, I don't know that that would have happened without all of the attention from this debate and putting pressure on um, LMU potentially losing the debate if if an, a negotiation wasn't reached. You know, it seems to me that Democrats really are working for the people. <laughs> <laughs> Bringing back that um, womp womp. <laughs> 
that uh, now defunct campaign. Oh, oh well, that's okay. That slogan. That's true. That yeah, I, that was the Kamala Harris slogan. It's also like our Democratic slogan in general, though. That's true. That's true. For the people, for the workers. We never, since we're talking about the debate and Kamala's not going to be there, I, we never got your reaction to her dropping out because, as many may know, you were her digital director on her Senate campaign. Right. So in 2016. In 2016. So know her a bit and the campaign pretty well. Yeah. I was I was devastated. And I, um, it, I know a lot of her campaign staff and I know that they were as dedicated to people and the process as she, as she is. Uh, she continues to be. Um, I think she's going to do an amazing things as a senator, continuing on moving forward. I think that, you know, I, the day that she announced that, that she was ending her campaign, I thought about um, the video that she used to launch her campaign. And I got to brag a little bit because some of the footage that I took in the in the Senate race was used in that uh, ah. uh, in that campaign video, and th- there was this moment where we were in San Diego in 2016, and we were at a like a, a little campaign event, and there was this woman there with this just adorable little girl, and Kamala loves children, and just lights up when she's around them. And I think that we've seen that in the videos that the campaign has, has since put out. But um, I always would tell at these events, if somebody had a kid, I'd be like, hold your kid up. Kamala will come over. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how they would get to meet her. So uh, so the mom, you know, brings the little girl who's about six years old, you know, in front of the crowd. And of course, uh, so then Attorney General Harris made a beeline for her. And this little girl looked up at this woman with so much love Mm. and hope. And it was a little black girl. And I've never seen anybody look at someone like that. And Kamala did that for so many kids and so many women and so many people where, you know, they look at her and see something really hopeful. And it was really hard to lose that. Um, and I think that this uh, this race is going to be a little bit worse off for it. We've got great candidates, um, but she was a fantastic one that just by virtue of being – and she had, you know, really great policies as well, and that's that's really important. But it's also important to have somebody who kids look at like that. And we don't have anybody in the White House like that anymore. Well, look, how about we replace Bill Barr with Kamala Harris as our next <laughs> attorney general? That would be powerful. Uh, Thank you for sharing that. That was really powerful. And um, we got another debate. You know, finally get to hear how they differ on health care policy. Fuchs, I've been waiting for that discussion. <laughs> <laughs> Smallest debate yet, so we might actually hear a lot of substance. Well... We have a great interview coming up with Michael Blake, who's going to really take us inside the DNC and what they do mm-hmm. and um, and his thoughts on organizing for 2020. I thought he was an amazing person to talk to about that. Yeah, really hopeful interview. Yeah, really hopeful. Mm-hmm. And before we do that, speaking of hope, what's what's your quick reason for hope? Oh, man, this feels like a like the year of the union. 
Mm. Um, and so just to as the debate that is actually happening because of contract negotiations, I know there was this historic auto workers um, yep. strike this year. It's felt like unions have really just been killing it and we owe them so much they're really even if you're not in a union currently um they are making things better for people we are going to see wages go up because of them and 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 better health care and better safety as as usual so i'm like feeling great about unions this week i love that and what's your reason for hope and excitement this week. I'm going to go with Time Magazine putting Greta Thunberg on the on the cover and making her the person of the year. Love it. And, you know, we won't even go down the road of this idiot Donald Trump and his asinine Twitter comments about a 16-year-old autistic girl who is literally changing uh, the conversation around climate change. We're not going to go down that road and talk about that asshat and his comments. Wait, do you hear that? Because I'm too mature to address that. Do you hear that? It's the sound of Melania and her Be Best campaign. (laughs) Really tackling cyberbullying. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) He's literally cyberbullying a 16-year-old autistic activist. Well, Melania's the expert on on it, so, you know. But she's amazing. We've talked about her on the podcast before many times, times and and, uh, I'm so grateful for her influence on this movement, on my own daughter. Mm. Um, It's it's well, well deserved. She is in my heart and on Time Magazine's cover, the person of the year. Oh, that's so nice. That made me feel good. (laughs) Okay, now that I'm feeling good, what do I do with this good energy? Okay, well, here's your to-do list for the week. And right before the holidays here, we have some stuff to do. We already talked about our actions around impeachment. Right. So call your representative, call your senator, call other senators. If they support impeachment, say thank you. It's important Mm -hmm. that they hear that, that we've got their back on supporting, especially if you're in one of these purple states. Absolutely. Make your calls. That's number one. Number two... Everyone should adopt a Senate race and start thinking and planning about how you're going to do that over the holidays and Mm -hmm. get into action in the new year. we got to get 2020 ready, people. That's right. You can pick a state or Senate race that you want to adopt, and then Swing Left will give you – will help you make a plan for how you're going to get involved. So you don't necessarily have to be able to go to the state, right, which would be great, but not everybody can go. Not everyone can go. If you can, if you have the means to do that, please, please do that because we need boots on the ground. That's really, really powerful. That's the most effective thing we can do. But there's lots of ways to be effective. Mm -hmm. Go to swingleft.org and you can see the super state map there. Pick one of our super states. Or you can just go to swingleft.org slash take action. Put in your zip code and get hooked up with a local group and coordinate, like work on stuff together. Great. So you can start, you know, writing letters. You can make phone calls. You can organize your own fundraiser. Oh. Yeah, exactly. So, And, of course, we have a Senate fund, which goes to all of our targeted Senate seats and will be split between them, whoever makes it through the primary. So that's a great place to, to organize around and donate money right now or start your own fundraiser. All right. Adopt a state. It could be two. It could be three. Whatever you have the bandwidth for. But mm-hmm. we need a plan. We need to get into action now. Imagine where we would be without Mitch McConnell uh, 
lockstep with the president's legal counsel on these impeachment proceedings, refusing to see any witnesses for yeah. the Senate impeachment trial. Useless. Let's get rid of him. We've got to ditch Mitch, yeah. and we've got to take back the Senate. All right. Michael Blake represents the South Bronx in the New York State Assembly and is a vice chair with the Democratic National Committee. He worked on both of President Obama's campaigns and served in the Obama administration. Assemblyman Blake, thank you so much for joining us. Awesome to be with you. Very fortuitous to have you here in Hollywood to do this. So. Just saying, you know, so, sometimes you get lucky, you know. Well, let's get right into it. First of all, I don't think a lot of people really understand exactly what the role of the DNC is in these elections because people talk about the DNC in different ways and, um, you know, thumb on the scale, hands off, all that stuff. Um, can you describe what makes up the DNC and, and what you really do? I also appreciated the hand motions you were doing right there. When they saying, translate. You know, I feel like, like people the, feel the, like, them. The, the waving of hands while doing thumb on the scale is actually pretty good right there. You know, look, I think the, you know, Democratic National Committee or, you know, or the, the Democratic Party, our, our primary goal is to build infrastructure. You know, I always try to make the analogy that a, a good party is essentially a good general manager of a sports team. Uh, you may not have any idea of the athletes' names one by one, uh, but the GM puts the, the structure together. Hmm. Uh, and that's our job. You know, and most of the time you're looking at candidates, people running for president, people running for Congress, people running for U.S. Senate, et cetera. Uh, but you're not realizing who's making sure they actually have data, mm. you know, uh, who's actually allowing them to be able to have technology to communicate with people, uh, who's giving them the infrastructure before they get there. You know, what's happening as it relates to the convention, you know, which we have to be thinking about those kinds of things now. And, and so, you know, there's been a dramatic, uh, dramatic shift from the last few years. Because when we don't have the White House, when Democrats don't have the White House, uh, we have elections uh, for party leadership. Uh, so uh, we had an election in March of 2017. Uh, and, you know, it was the first time election in 12 years because, of course, we had President Obama for both terms. Mm -hmm. And uh, we were all elected to four-year terms. So nine of us were elected. You know, I'm, I'm the first black man that was elected since Ron Brown uh, was mm -hmm. TNC chair. Uh, and so... And, and we were very particular in terms of how we get engaged with things. And one thing that was a, a problem before is that people felt like the DNC was engaged in trying to push things towards Secretary Clinton right. um, as opposed to changing the game now. Uh, and so I think the best way to think about what do we do, uh, it's to help 50 states and the territories, as well as Democrats abroad, uh, have a better chance to win their races. You know, it's the little things like purchasing the 787 area code uh, that was you know, pinging off towers for about 30 straight days here in the States because that 787 is from Puerto Rico. Mm. And we were able to identify people that are in Florida and in Pennsylvania and then turn that over to the state parties there so that they can now know here are people on the ground that you didn't know are here right now. So that's the kind of things we do. Uh, but, you know, people always have uh, their comments of more we need to be doing. That's okay. You know, you don't, you don't run for this kind of position unless you're willing to take the criticism along the way. Yeah, I think we've seen a big wave of new activists who have gotten involved in things since Trump was elected. Yeah. Are they moving the party at all or is the party taking this new group of people into consideration as you all are making plans? I'd say it's both and because 
you know, the, the we, we think about Inauguration Day and what happened when it, with the Women's March and the, the, the power of that was not just what happened in D.C., but it was across the country. Right. And that the organizers of the Women's March had the 10 actions for the next 100 days. So mm-hmm. this wasn't a one-day thing. Uh, and in that same vein, we were mindful of that. So, you know, we, we launched Resistance Summer, mm-hmm. uh, and we had organizers across the country that we were training uh, so that you can have people in the states so you weren't waiting until the election to actually get young people involved. Right. You know, that was a learning lesson that we didn't see before. You know, it's the uh, engagement with the indivisibles and the swing lefts and the flippables um, of the world uh, mm-hmm. to say, help us to understand what were you seeing uh, so we can convene people. Uh, you know, it, it made everybody better because we had an institutional and infrastructure dynamic that the groups didn't have right. uh, because it was, you know, okay, we want to get involved because Trump is bad. Yes, we, we get that. Uh, but we got to tell them why we're good. Uh, and so what we've been able to do now is take it to the next step. So this is everything from help us to understand how do you train the next level of organizers. Uh, so, you know, organizing core is something that we've done that a lot of people may not realize where we're training a thousand young people of color to be ready uh, no matter who's the nominee. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that's something because we were able to, to learn from the groups who said, look, we see an energy out there and people want to get in the game, but they just don't know how and they don't know the mechanics of it. Uh, and so that was our job to do. Uh, but at the same time, we want to learn the best practices. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't engage black folk in Cleveland the same way you would engage black folk in the Bronx. Mm-hmm. You can't engage the Puerto Rican community in Florida the same way you would the Latino community that may be in Colorado. Like the reality is, what we saw from the different groups was a an appreciation on the ground that we didn't see before. Mm-hmm. And if we were going to be serious about seeing the change that happened from 2016 to now, it's that you know, look, a lot of people are pissed. And, and they are frustrated and they see a racist, sexist, misogynistic demagogue in the White House. Mm-hmm. And they're not just going to be involved for one day. They want to be involved consistently. You know, you talked a lot about engaging in communities that don't typically get engaged with until, you know, maybe a month before the election. That never happens. Come on. <laughs> Come on. No. Right. People don't just show up at churches at the end. No. Come on. <laughs> Right. Um, and, and it's really great to hear you saying that. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm curious because there's obviously a debate within our party and within all the pundits about how do we win this in 2020? What kind of candidate is going to appeal to the people that we need to bring out the vote? And, um, you know, you have the swing voters that we need to go more centrist with. I'm using hand signals again. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if, if you all could see what's happening here, it'd be great. It's crazy. I'm standing like on the table, <laughs> making my point. I'm very yeah, emphatic. Serious jazz hands going on right now. <laughs> I really feel like, uh, and I get in an argument even with my wife. She's, you know, because we worry. Like, like the, I guess the default is we want to be safe. We're terrified of not winning the presidency, mm-hmm. right? But I feel like we really need a candidate that's going to inspire and organize in these underserved uh, communities and build our power for the long term. Mm-hmm. I. I don't know that there is a big demographic of centrist swing voters right now. I sort of feel like if someone's on the fence about Trump, like maybe I'll vote for him depending on who the Democrat is, they're voting for Trump, right? So what do you think about that? What's the strategy going forward in 2020? So when we were in Iowa in 2007, 2008, you know, Mitch Stewart and Paul Tews and the team would always say a campaign is just about who has the biggest list. And it was... 
Like, let's not overthink the numbers starting out while simultaneously the candidates what then inspires people as well. So mm-hmm. what, what do I mean by that? There were 206 counties that voted for Obama twice and then voted for Trump. But then if you look at in 2018, if we replicate what happened in the states in 2020, what happened in 2018, a Democrat will become president. Mm. Right. When you start thinking about previous elections, people talk about Gore and Bush and what happened in Florida. If Gore would have won New Hampshire, we're not talking about Florida. Mm-hmm. So I think too often we, we get caught in, are you trying to chase this unicorn of a perfect voter? As opposed to, if we just get our folks to show up, we're going to be fine. Right. Now, there were a lot of reasons why people didn't want to vote for Trump. We cannot ignore the reality that you had a conservative evangelical push that was happening, mm-hmm. especially Hispanic evangelical in the South. You cannot ignore that, in particular in the South and black communities, that Trump was using Secretary Clinton's voice around super predators and saying, you know, why should you trust the Clintons? Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't ignore the fear that was being con- con- conveyed for labor communities uh, and labor unions. But in 2018, people saw that, okay, he's a fraud. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, and when you look at 2017, 2018, 2019, we've won all those three years mm-hmm. dramatically. So when it comes to 2020, I feel very confident whoever's our nominee is going to be president. I really do. Mm-hmm. And I'm not just saying this because I'm a, a DNC vice chair. I just think if you see the energy that's out there, Trump's numbers aren't growing. Right. They're pretty much receding in a lot of places. And if he has a good day, it may get back to a 46, 47, something like that. I think people are so ready for something different Mm -hmm. that they'll be ready to go. Now, that also means, though, a candidate has to tell people why they're good and can't just say Trump is bad. Right. And I think the next few weeks, especially around this conversation around impeachment, you know, look, He's going to get impeached in the House. The Senate and Senate Republicans are cowards. They're not going to do anything. Right. So then he's going to say, well, I'm, you know, I didn't do anything and we can move on. It can't be about impeachment. You got to tell people about what's important. Right? right. And if we do that well, then I think people are going to show up. And, and the reality is we're talking about, what, seven or eight battleground states truly at this point. Mm-hmm. Each of them are trending in our direction the way we want them to be. Uh, and each of them, we already know the playbook. Trump is going to say the economy is great for the country. Right. Don't worry about all my craziness. Don't worry about all this other noise. You know, we had a good unemployment report. Everything right. is fine. Right. You know, our job has to be, okay, let's, let's address that. Well, do you feel secure with your job? Do you feel like wages are okay? Do you feel like you can pay your bills? Then people start thinking, no. Okay, then I'm going to add in. Let's add in all of the crazy shit that he's been doing. Right. right? Um, this conversation is making me feel so much better. So thank you. I, <laughs> That's why I'm vice chair. <laughs> I want to I talk about something that you've hit on a couple of times, which is the the messaging that the party is going to be pushing out to voters. I think some of the feedback that I received from volunteers and grassroots donors a couple of years ago was, well, we didn't really understand what the message was. And Make America Great Again is something easy to latch on to. So can you talk about like the thinking behind the messaging that we're going to be seeing in the coming months? Absolutely. Hardly ever uh, can any of us actually remember a message of a party, Republican or Democrat. Almost always we remember a line or a message of a candidate. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, you know, the exercise I do with with my students back home is in 08, you could talk about, yes, we can and hope and change. Mm -hmm. I don't know anyone who could tell you what McCain's message was. They're like, well, country first. It may take them a while to finally get there if they get there. I was like, what was Romney's? Like, I'm not really sure. What was Secretary Clinton? 
I'm not really sure if they're strong together. What was, what was Trump? Make America great. So the reality is, in each of those examples, they couldn't tell me the message of the party. Mm. The nominee became the, the armor bearer right. of the party. And so our job has to be, we are the accomplishments wing, and he's an utter failure. Mm -hmm. It cannot just be, to your point, he's bad, he's doing these things. People already got that. If you are still rocking with Trump today, you're going to probably be voting for him next year. If you're a true independent and you're hearing some of these things, you may just want to say, I just want to hear the Democrats tell me what's their vision. Mm -hmm. Tell me what's your plan. Tell me how we're going to figure this out. You know, when, and, and if we do that, we can be successful. The next step of this, we've been very clear of saying this has to be not just about the Trump. It has to be from the state house to the White House. Right. It has to be city council to Congress. Right. You know, it, it's got to be all these different positions. Because if we do that, then more people get excited about that. And what we've been talking about a lot more lately, Democrats are fighting for all, while Trump is, and the Republicans are fighting for the one percent. Mm -hmm. Yep. You keep driving that home. People feel it. Like, oh, you know, I'm kind of feeling that right now. Right. Because you know, it, it doesn't matter if you're a Democrat, Republican, Independent, whatever. When you see a cruel rule of work requirements being harder to get food stamps. Right. People are just like, that's just wrong. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like, like this is like plain and simple. That's just wrong. And so our vision has to be, and our thinking, how do we build the infrastructure and how do we build trust? And in the messaging and the branding of we are Democrats, we are Americans, we are patriots, we are one. Right. That that framing. Because, you know, this is going to go fast. You know, February 3rd, when everything is going in Iowa, mm -hmm. uh, through April 28th, uh, you know, we moved up our New York primary, essentially called the Acela primary, if you will. 90% <laughs> of delegates are going to be decided between that span. We're going to have a pretty good gauge who's going to be our nominee by the end of April, give okay. or send, right? And so it's our job to be ready for that. Uh, and I think when people keep saying to us, well, we need one message, we need one message. We're always going to push back on that mm -hmm. because what happens in Connor Lamb's district mm -hmm. is very different than what Doug Jones needed. Right. It's very different than what happened when we, you know, flipped the, the Senate in New York. Uh, it's very different when it goes down in Florida. You know, people don't want that. They don't want you to come in and tell them what makes sense for me. They want their candidate to be able to articulate that. And our job needs to be to help the candidates to drive home a message that works for them. You mentioned uh, state house to the White House, absolutely. Or That's, city council to Congress. I mean, I'm just saying. Or city council to Congress, everything, <laughs> right? Exactly. Um, I would agree with you. You know, knock on wood. I do think any of these candidates are capable of beating Donald Trump, but I also look at the Senate. And, uh, you know, that's a much more uphill push. And we really need lots of volunteers to get out and do the work, knocking on doors, making those phone calls, especially in those important Senate states. So um, I feel like it's really important, like you guys were both just talking about, uh, having a candidate that has a message that's going to inspire not just people to show up and vote, but activists to get out and volunteer and take care of these crucial elections. Well, absolutely. And, 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 I'll, I'll use my own race as a small microcosm. But I'm also going to talk about Doug Jones because I think that can convey both points. You know, Doug Jones was the lawyer that decided to go after uh, the bombers when it came to what happened at Birmingham Church. Mm -hmm. So it was easy for us to go into black communities and be like, you know, Doug Jones gets it. Mm. I, I remember when we did a fundraiser for Doug at the DNC, a labor fundraiser, and then we had him come speak at a CBC event and the room was packed. And when you have someone that's able to get up and say, it wasn't my staff, it wasn't some team, it was him, 
who said this is wrong. Yeah. Right. But he's gonna yeah. have a really tough, tough. But fight but I'm I'm, hands, I'm, right? I'm bringing that up because when you have someone like him, when you have what happened in Kentucky just now, uh, when you have the reelection in Louisiana, we keep being told that you have these tough fights, and we want all three. Hmm. Right. Like we can't be afraid of a tough fight. That's fine. Uh, if you have a candidate that can articulate that, uh, turn your point of, you know, aspirational. If you get people to have something that's aspirational, they'll rock with you. Right. They'll understand, you know what? I may not all understand all the mechanics of it, but I want to feel good about this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't want to be in an environment just around fear. And so in that same vein, for anyone that, that you think about these candidates they will have to articulate that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I think you're starting to see that from these presidential candidates right now. I think they are understanding it is not enough just to say why you don't like Trump. Mm-hmm. Right. right? You, you have to be able to show people that you believe in something bigger. And I think, you know, the impeachment process, we shouldn't ignore the magnitude of the moment. This is going to divide the country again. But I do think it was the right thing to do. You can't let someone just be we reckless. Right? No, yeah. You I just... Mean, but you you got to then come back and say, okay, how do we rise up from this as Americans? Right. You have to give people an, an aspirational vision beyond just the division of politics. And I suppose that, you know, we can put pressure on these senators around impeachment in these uh, swing states as well. Oh, absolutely. We should. I mean, if and when the Senate Republicans act as the cowards as I think they are, I think other than yeah. Romney, I, re- I don't see anyone else at this point, they will directly be saying, Yes, we know he broke the law, and we're fine with it. Yep. And to me, that's going to be a pretty damning argument to make in some of these races. Yeah. That you're willing to say, yeah, you know what? National security, because the Republicans always talk about they're the one of values and security. Well, he literally just doesn't care about that. Right. Uh, I-, I was willing to help my own purpose over the country. I actually think it's going to help in some of these places. and, and But I think we can't. As Democrats, and I think we do this too often, let process get in the way of the principle. Well, Senator Chris Murphy says he's talked to somebody who who is getting swayed in he the did? Senate. That's what he said. So, you know, who I don't know if it was Romney or who, but maybe there might be, fingers crossed, that there are people who are considering not I mean, being cowards. <laughs> this is, I mean, it's pretty next level, right? It I mean, is. When, when you're in that kind of space, for the Republicans... I mean, some of them are just clowns, right? Like you have like Senator Kennedy of Louisiana right. still talking yeah. about Ukraine, right? God. You know, yeah. Lindsey Graham, you know, kind of lost his spine a long time ago, right? I look <laughs> long forward to time J- ago. I look forward to long Jamie Harrison winning that race there in South Carolina, Ooh, right? You stop know? it. Stop it. <laughs> I mean, South Carolina, I mean, overwhelmingly got black turnout that's there. We just got to mobilize people, right? Yeah. Um, I, I think we are at a, a reflection moment, mm. you know, and... You know, I wasn't alive during this point, but I, I think this is that 1968 kind of moment, mm-hmm. right? Where people are going to really be asking themselves, well, what did you do? What did you do? Did, did you allow nonsense and recklessness to continue? Right. You know, uh, you know, Dr. King's quote that is my favorite of his is, in the end, we remember not the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. Mm-hmm. And I think for everyone in Congress, and particularly for those senators, they're really going to have to ask themselves, are they fine letting this happen? Are they more afraid of losing an election mm-hmm. and more specifically losing a primary than doing what's best for the country? And, and if, if they are fine with that, they have no business being in politics. Their silence will be deafening and they will hear from us in November when we head to the polls.
Mm-hmm. There you go, swing left. Now we're talking. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I feel like we do have to talk about oh, the right. Tucker Carlson. <laughs> that was awesome. Oh, let's let's, let's get you. after it. I'm just saying. <laughs> you, you got after it. <laughs> I did get you, a little after you, it. <laughs> you called him out on Fox News. Mm-hmm. Michael Blake, vice chair of the DNC and a New York State Assemblyman. How you doing, Mike? Nice Good. to see you, sir. What Good do you think of the you. prediction on Michelle Obama? Would uh, you like to see that? Well, she's not running, but the, the core question is, why the hell does Tucker Carlson still have a job here in the first place? Uh, the reality is this is someone who said white supremacy is a hoax, uh, and why does Fox allow him to still be here in okay. the first place? All right. well, I mean- How good did that feel? Uh, it was necessary to do. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I regularly would go on Fox uh, as the DNC voice, and... You know, towards the end of last year, uh, the on-air talent uh, was becoming very nasty. I mean, I, there was actually a moment where they had to apologize on air the next day because they just kept cutting me off and trying to spit out their talking points. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, you would you would go home and the flood of emails that I would get, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I couldn't even count how many times I got called a nigger going on Fox. Mm-hmm. Wow. Right? And... When Tucker made that audacious, absurd comment of white supremacy is a hoax, just kind of coincidentally, the next three or four times I was supposed to be on Fox, they would cancel at the last minute. Mm. So when they asked us to go on, uh, I said yes initially just to say, okay, they wanted to talk about 2020 and the status of things. And then when it became clear that it was going to talk about the Tucker comment about First Lady Obama being a nominee, which she's not running, she's not going to be a nominee, I just figured it's it's time to call out this nonsense, right? Right? Like, why the hell does he still have a job? Like, we, you know, this is a man. Just so we, we don't ignore this. First of all, Tucker Carlson might actually still be a registered Democrat. He was a registered Democrat. Let's make sure right. we're on the same page about right. this, right? Like, this is all a, a charade. Um, immigration is a, is an invasion. He said white supremacy is a hoax. Said he was rooting for Russia. All these different things. Right. Um, and I kind of made the decision that if, if, if I don't go on again, which I, I hope Fox would, you know, they, they would toughen up and bring me back on the same way they would spit out their points. Mm-hmm. What's the point of me going on that environment and not calling out the truth? Right. And uh, it, it has been validating, especially in the middle of the interview. And I respect Bill Hammer, mm-hmm. but you could tell he was annoyed. Mm-hmm. Right. And he was annoyed. And and. And when he made his comment about save it for later, like mm-hmm. that's that says a lot when someone says something right. like that, right? Mm-hmm. Like, no, no, I'm not, I'm not saving anything for later. You all are, this is a propaganda network, right? Right? Like, <laughs> you you are fine with this, uh, and I'm not going to be fine with this. And you know, uh, I didn't realize how much it would mean to people. Yeah, me doing that. Uh, I think people just want to know if you're going to be a leader, you got to be able to go into uncomfortable spaces uh, and speak mm-hmm. the truth. Uh, when you asked me earlier about numbers, and more independents actually watch Fox and the network, hmm. right? And and we can't keep ignoring uh, the space just because we don't like a lot of the words that are said there. And I think people are ready for us to say enough is enough. So you feel like you're able to change the views or or influence the views of some of the viewers? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of people that watch Fox because they genuinely want to talk about the economy. I mean, they really believe the, the conservative economic spin on right, things, right? right. Uh, yeah. And and that's that's their thing. There are others that 
go on and watch because of a faith perspective, mm-hmm. and which I think that's nothing we don't do as enough as Democrats, like being in, engaging on the faith conversation. But we also just got to call this out. Like, it's not sufficient for us just to go on to the MSNBCs or the podcast or the CNNs of the world and say what they're doing is wrong. You got to go into the belly of the beast right. and be like, no, you're racist, like plain and simple. And you are promoting racism. Right. And that is unacceptable. And, and I actually, when I went back home, uh, and I didn't realize that folks were following it so quickly, <laughs> you know, you know I, I have a district that is overwhelmingly black and Latino, largest West African population in the world outside of West Africa. Uh, the pride that they had afterwards of that you, you stood up for us. Right. Yeah. Uh, then you realize that it was, it was, it was bigger than a moment. More people need to do that. And it was interesting. I was just thinking when you're talking about the message getting through on Fox to some uh, viewers, one of the early interviews we had uh, on this podcast was with Omar Rivera, who's the founder of Occupy Democrats. Mm. And he was talking about how uh, the Fox obsession with AOC, he thought was actually translating to a lot of her message getting through to some of the Fox viewers. Absolutely. Yeah. So. Absolutely. Look, you, we, we, they are a massive voice right we can't ignore that and overwhelmingly their response has nothing to do with facts right Right. it's just about trying to push their own narrative so you got to check their narrative Uh, and if you're uncomfortable by me calling out your racism and sexism then maybe you shouldn't be racist and sexist (laughs) (laughs) that's kind of pretty uh, pretty straightforward approach racist and sexist you know own it just just be that's going that's who you're going to be that's who you're going to be uh so i I don't know if they'll be inviting me on anytime soon but uh well thank you for going into the belly of the beast and 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 speaking truth um i I appreciate it is all it's a you're like bill hammer and tucker carlson they came from CNN. Yeah. And like... Oh, it's like, what what happened? Money, money happened. Money, there we go. But yeah. also, like, what are you doing? Yeah. I, <laughs> so. I, um, I, I hope that I will not be the only who will be willing to go there. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, because I think 2020 is going to be so divisive across the country. You're going to have to peel away some of the people that watch a Fox mm-hmm. to speak the truth there. We already know their whole narrative is going to be the economy is great. Don't worry about anything else going on. Right. No, you got to break it down. Like, is it great for the black community? Is it great for the Latino community? Are women entrepreneurs getting access? Yeah, probably not. So let's let, let's you, you have to be willing to do that, and and you have to be willing to call out that they promoted a lot of this. And if if we're unable to do that, then we shouldn't be here. Mm. Well, hopefully, more people will will come make those statements. You know, take the opportunity when they're on Fox to call that out. And I would love for everyone that goes on Fox to ask the question, why is Tucker Carlson, Carlson still have a job here? Why the hell does Tucker Carlson still have a job? You got to go all in right there. <laughs> That's, right. That's right. Do you have any advice for people who are thinking, oh, maybe I might like to volunteer in 2020? Get in the game. There is no feeling like being a part of a campaign that you believe in, you know, I joined, you know, I'm a son of Jamaican immigrants. My, my dad was a, a union guy, 1199. He was a janitor. My mom was a manufacturer, um, the baby of four. I was born with a heart murmur. And, um, when I went to Iowa, I got to Iowa March 3rd, 2007, mm-hmm. you know, people thought we had no chance whatsoever. Uh, when you were around those volunteers and, you see that something is bigger than an election happening. Mm-hmm. 
it, it fuels you. And I really do believe for everyone, you know, knocking on doors matters, you know, making phone calls matters. Uh, you have no idea when, when you show up at a campaign office and you bring pizza for the staff that's been hauling ass for weeks. And then just someone just is like, Hey, I just want to make sure you're okay. It changes things. It really does. And, and I'm not just saying this because I'm here, you know, you, you saw what swing left did in 2018. Right. And this, I think this is for swing left. I think it's for indivisible. I think it's for flippable that people just said enough is enough. And I think all of this will be in vain if we don't defeat Trump and have victories across the board next year. And the only way that's going to happen is through volunteers. Because while we are talking about impeachment, Trump and the Republicans are flooding with digital ads Mm -hmm. and they're flooding these targeted states. And they're giving this messaging of they're just trying to divide you. Don't worry about this. Let's just stay focused on the economy. Economy is great. Things will be fine. The people are going to have to win this thing. And, and you will feel that great sense of validation. You know, I, I was telling people that in the 09 inauguration, I was on the bus with the King family. And you're pretty much silent when you're going up because you don't really know what, what do you say to the King family when a black man about to become president. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then MLK III turned to us and said, thank you. And I, I started tearing up because mm-hmm. I'm just like, your family allowed for this moment to happen. Mm-hmm. But you get to DC, when you get to the Capitol and you see this, the sea of humanity, mm-hmm. a lot of that were volunteers of people who just pour their heart and soul into something bigger. And so if you... Not just if you believe in the country, because I think we all should do that. If you believe in the promise, whatever that promise may be, uh, we need you to volunteer. Yeah. It, it cannot just be staff uh, alone. Uh, when when you when you you make that phone call, when you have that dear neighbor letter, <laughs> uh, when you knock on that door, you know there's a woman in our district named Trudy Pogue who uh, still to this day reminds us that when we got elected the first term in the assembly that it was cold in her senior center uh, and we got her heat. And she says, Michael, we are warm. Mm. Right. And Trudy will make any phone call for anything. And there's now we just did it because the right thing to do. Uh, I'll, I'll take Trudy making a phone call for us any day because she can tell the story. Yeah. And that's why we need people to get in the game. Well, beautifully I'm said Michael Blake, assembly member from the Bronx, Thank you so much for being here and sharing what's going on in the DNC. It's exciting. I'm excited for 2020. Democrats.org, so you can see what's going on. Follow us. Follow Organizing Core. Follow DNC War Room. Mm-hmm. See what we got going. We'll see you on Milwaukee at the convention, and then see you in November when we win this thing. I'm so excited about <laughs> what's coming up next. It's so great to hear. There's so many amazing groups all over the country mm-hmm. of, like we say in the intro, just ordinary people doing extraordinary things. But it's really, really true. And as a special treat, we had an audio clip sent in to us from a group in Connecticut called Resisters. So let's hear what they're doing. This is Melissa from the Resisters shouting out to How We Win from Connecticut. I'm with my resistor group today for a normal 10 a.m. morning meeting in our top secret location. Our group, like so many others, formed right after the 2016 election. When we started, we were about 12 people gathered together almost like a therapy group. The goal was to vent, 
educate ourselves on what happened and why, and then to set up defenses to make sure we survive the next four years. Once the shock and dismay cleared, we began to focus on what happened in 2016 to make sure it didn't happen again in 2020. Now, three years later, we are a group focused on education and activation. Today, we want to share with everyone our best practices and ask other resistance groups to let us know what you are doing to help with 2020. In Connecticut, we have a group that has connected all other local resistance groups, and we are working to share ideas. Through Swing Left, we are sharing ideas with groups in Boston. Now our hope is to connect with groups across the U.S. through How We Win. One way we win is by working together to take back our country. Our resistor group has grown from 12 people to 150, with at least 30 people showing up each week. We would like to share what we are doing to win in 2020. Hi, this is Vicki. We are traveling to a swing district in Pennsylvania to register voters through September, and then we're going to deep canvas the month of October to get out the vote. This is Gail. We are writing letters to register voters through Vote Forward and have connected with other Connecticut resistance groups to couple Connecticut and Pennsylvania. I'm Angela. We created a QR code that links to the Pennsylvania voter registration website. We're putting it on stickers and buttons and we'll wear them so people can see uh, us when we are registering voters. Hi, this is Joelle. We plan to show up at the New York City stations and register voters from Pennsylvania as they get off the, their bus or train. Okay, so everyone, we want to hear from you. What resistors has meant to you? Super loud. Take action. She took mine, action. <laughs> Secure the future. Empowerment. Make a difference. Activism. Education. Create change. Get rid of 45. Okay, thank you so much. Thank you. Yay, resistors. Great job, guys. 150 people. Right? This is amazing. Anyone can jump in and do this work. You just uh, set aside whatever time you have, and you can really make an impact. And I believe that those ladies and the one guy who somehow got into the resistors meeting um, are going to make a huge impact on Pennsylvania. Yeah, they sound like a lot of fun. I'm going to go hang out with them. Let's do it. Thanks for joining us today and for stepping up and taking action. This is how we win. We want to hear from you and we want your story too. Send us a note or even record yourself and email it to podcast at swingleft.org. Thanks to all of our subscribers. If you're not one of them yet, please do subscribe and rate us on Apple or wherever you get your pods. Share us with all of your family and friends and help us build this megaphone for the resistance. Use the hashtag HowWeWin2020. Share our page at swingleft.org slash podcast. And of course, adopt your Senate state and sign up to volunteer. Next week is our last episode of 2019. Know. Last episode of the decade. Right. It's going to be a special holiday podcast. You're not going to want to miss it. It's going to be so nice. We'll see you then. 